Thank you so much for joining us online. We want Bethany to be a place where people can get connected to God, to each other, and to the world. If you would like someone to talk to or to pray for you, you can email us at prayer at bethanysite.com. We also greatly appreciate everyone that gives so generously at Bethany. If you'd like to give, you can do so by clicking Give in the top right menu on our homepage at bethanysite.com. Again, thank you for joining us online. We hope that this service will be a blessing to you. Welcome, Bethany. It's so good to see everyone, and we want to welcome you if you're watching online to our worship. And uh, it's really uh, been kind of an amazing journey going through John, and I'm really loving it. And if you would turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 12, John chapter 12, we're going to be looking at the idea of belief and unbelief. And uh, if you look at verses 37 through 50, let me just jump in and start um, uh, reading that. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And for this reason, they could not believe because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than the praise from God. Then Jesus cried out, Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. And the one who looks at me is seeing the one who has sent me. And I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. And there is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. And I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Now, the language uh, in John many times is kind of dense. You know, it's really uh, heavy, and uh, I, I, I sometimes can get lost in the first reading of it. And so uh, I want to try to explain this. It actually is a tough um, part of the scriptures to interpret. I, I want to uh, give you some room to disagree with me on some of the stuff I'm going to share with you. Uh, of course, I'm right, but I, I wanted to give you some uh, latitude for that. So uh, the first thing is, number one, is unbelief. And in verse 37, even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. And Jesus had done all these healings. He had healed the blind. You know, he had, you know, healed the lame. He had healed the leper spots. He, you know, he had raised Lazarus from the dead. There's just so many things that he had done. And yet at the same time, they would not believe that he was Messiah. And it's sort of like, what do you want? What do you want from me? And it's just kind of amazing. And for me, I'm the kind of person that, um, 
and believes. You know, I've believed since I was a little kid, and you know, I've never stopped believing, and I have no problem with not believing. I have never been a really good apologetic person because you know, I, I'm like this. This verse, you know, is like you know, even after all these things, you don't believe in him. You know, I t- today and yesterday, the mountain was out. I looked at that mountain. I just see, and that's God's creation, and He's majestic. And for me, it's just really easy to believe. And it's many times I have to, you know, really think about how is it that people cannot believe, and yet there's tons of people that don't believe. And this section is John saying that Jesus is being rejected by the nation of Israel. Now, there's still some that believe, but there is a lot of people, especially in the leadership of the nation, that is rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. In the next chapter, we start in you know the upper room, the Last Supper, and all the teachings that Jesus does, and Jesus is moving to the cross. This is the last week of his life. And so John wants us to know that the nation has rejected him. And then he uses the idea of the nation of Israel. He uses their great prophet Isaiah and quotes from it and said, For this reason they could not believe, because as Isaiah says, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, and so neither see with their eyes or understand with their hearts nor turn, and I would heal them. And so this is a principle that is really hard for a lot of people, especially young people struggle with this, but it's a principle that God has that um, when people have disbelief or unbelief, God just gives them over to more unbelief, more unbelief. When people are hardened by sin, um, God just gives them over to more sin. You know, a lot of times I, I'll hear someone that's, there's injustice is really bothering them, and they'll say, this is so unjust. Where is God? Where is God? When is he going to do something? You know, I'm sure Ukrainians right now are saying, where is God? Well, you know, why is he letting, you know, the, you know, the iron boot of Russia come marching and, and crushing, you know, all our hopes and dreams? And where is God? And I want you to know that uh, the principle, and you find it in Romans 1, is that God punishes sin by giving over to more sin. And so if you're a person of faith, you know, the more you take a step towards God, the more you have more faith in God, the more faith that he gives you and more faith that you're strengthened. But the other way, if you're walking away from him and you just kind of turn your back on him and you just start getting into, you know, willful sin, you know, God just says, okay, he's not going to force you and he'll just give you over to that. That's kind of scary, but that's what these verses are saying. And then uh, there's this very unique uh, uh, use of Isaiah. The first one is Isaiah 53.1. Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? It's sort of like, you know, here's the Messiah. Here's Jesus. Here's he's showing all these proofs. He's doing all these signs and they're not believing him. And then he begins to quote from Isaiah 6 about, you know, the, this idea of blinding the eyes so they can't see and blocking the ears so they can't hear and hardening the heart so they can't understand. There, there's just this really harsh language, and it comes from the call of Isaiah in Isaiah 6. And if you look at number 2, Jesus is Yahweh, verse 41, Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him, spoke about Jesus. So where... Did Isaiah see Jesus' glory? 
And your pastor is going to teach Isaiah 6. That's where I think that he saw his glory. Now, there's lots of messianic passages in Isaiah. There's, you know, the prediction of the Messiah coming. There's Isaiah 53 about the suffering servant. And uh, all we like sheep have gone astray, and everyone has turned his own way. But the Lord has laid on him, the Messiah, the iniquity of us all. And so that all refers to Jesus. But where did he see the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ? Where did he see the glory? So if you would turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah chapter 6, and um, entertain me, because I've, I've taught Isaiah 6 a lot, because it's one of my favorite passages, and I, I love uh, the epiphany that I, Isaiah has. Epiphany is, you know, a, a seeing of God, and so this epiphany that he sees God is kind of amazing. So I'm going to read to you kind of like a section of time and talk about it. So in Isaiah 6, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, Yahweh, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphim, each six wings, with two wings they covered their face, with two they covered their feet, with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, and I'll stop right there. Uh, I just want you to know that um, this is a, a, a dramatic year in Isaiah's life. Uh, the king has died. There's a change in regime. Uh, it's a huge thing, and he's in the temple worshiping, and then all of a sudden he has this vision of God, and it's the Lord, and he's high and exalted. And uh, this is one of the most wonderful things that, you know, our God is high and exalted, but he's also, through his Holy Spirit, you know, right with us, really close. But here is this example of him being transcendent. So he's high and lifted up, and, and he's seated on the throne. He's seated on the throne. Now, this is just your pastor's opinion, okay? And there would be theologians that would disagree with me. Uh, once again, they're wrong. I'm right. But in Revelations 22, verses 1 and verses 3, it talks about the throne of God. And there's a beautiful picture of heaven uh, in many of the chapters in uh, Revelation. But in 22, it says there's a river of life that's flowing out of the throne of God, this river of life, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And the Lamb is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Lamb that takes away the sins of the world. And then verse 3 says, The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. So the throne of God is God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, some people disagree with that. You can disagree with me if you want to. But let me just show you a couple other things about this passage. So this is kind of an amazing thing. Isaiah is seeing this, and then he sees these amazing angels, these seraphim, and they have six wings, two wings that cover their faces, two they covered their feet, and the two were flying. So, you know, they're probably huge angels. And I, it's so fantastic, it's hard to describe it. I think in other sermons... I've talked about, you know, and the idea of having these huge wings, you know, you know, like a big, huge raptor, you know, there's like a womp, 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 and then two covering their eyes so they are not gazing directly at his beauty or his awesomeness. They're guarding their eyes and then their feet, because they're on holy ground, is covering their feet. I mean, it's just kind of a beautiful uh, expression. But the other thing, too, is if they're guarding and they're going around saying, holy, 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 the most amazing thing is maybe they were like hummingbirds, and we have hummingbirds that come to our yard, and they are amazing. They go, zzz, 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 zzz. And maybe it's not a womp, 
Well, maybe it's zzz, 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 except they have these huge wings. And then if you notice the next verse, um, in verse 3, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And it's not once that he says holy. It's not just twice that he says holy. It's three times holy, 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 which is saying that God is holy. He's perfect. He's, he's amazing. You know, he's bright. He's light. He's amazing. And he's scary. And he's thunderous. And he is wonderful beyond anything you can imagine. He is holy. If anything God is, it is holy. Luminous is one of the ways we could look at it. Whenever my wife calls me and she says, George, you know, I, I pay attention most of the time. But if she says, George, George, oh, she's got my attention. But if she screams, George, from outdoors, George, George, you know, oh, my goodness, she's got my attention and I'm running, you know. And so three times, if this is called out, holy, 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 this is something that is so important about the very attribute and nature of God that he is holy and the whole earth is full of his glory. Next verse, verse 4, and at the sound of their voices and doorposts, the th threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. It's like an earthquake. So he's watching these angels. He's looking at the throne of God. And then all of a sudden, as they speak, holy, 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 there's like an earthquake and everything is moving and it's filling with smoke. And his response is so human. is like, I am a dead man. Woe is me. Woe to me. According to this version, I am ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among people with unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And whenever we have an experience with God, one of the things that comes across immediately is how sinful we are and the need to uh, become uh, clean, cleansed. And there's something that's just amazing about uh, this, this experience that he has. And not only does he realize how unclean he is, but how unclean the people are and how all of us are sinners. And that is a response that is universal when they see God. Then one of the seraphim, one of these angels with a big, flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth, you know, a, you know, a coal, you know, burning. It would be like burning thing. And he, he sears his mouth and says, see, this has touched your lips and your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Oh my goodness, this is like he's get totally healed, totally can confess all his sin is taken away from him. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for me? Right? No. Us. Who is the us? Why does God say us? And I know there's other ones that say, well, he's talking about all of heaven or he's talking about the angels in him. I said, no. To me, this is evidence of the Trinity. This is the throne of God the Father and God the Son. And it's the same in Genesis 1 when mankind is created. There it says, let us make man in our likeness. Let us make man. And it's God who's creating. And to me, the Trinity is so seen in Genesis 1. And here we see it too. And in Revelation 22, we see the, the us, God the Father, God the Son. And Isaiah responds when he hears the, the call, who shall we send? He said, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. And then he is given one of the most discouraging missions that you can imagine. 
It's so discouraging to me. He said, go and tell this people. Be ever hearing but never understand. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. And this is the one that's quoted in John. Make their hearts of this people calloused. Make their ears dull. Close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. You can see Isaiah sitting there, you know, like, oh, I wanted to have a big church with seven services, maybe like a crystal palace. I could do some really good stuff, and you could show up every once in a while. We would fill the place on Christmas Eve. You know, he, he gets this thing, you're going to go out there and preach, and, and everyone's going to turn away, and everyone, most people are not going to believe. And it's a horrible assignment. And then he asks a really human question. For how long, Lord? I love that question. For how long do I have to do this? Two years? Six years? My whole ministry? And then God answers, until the cities lie ruined without inhabitants and the houses are left deserted until Israel is taken off into captivity. I mean, these are desperate times. And God is sending him on a desperate mission that is very discouraging. And Isaiah is a good prophet. He does what God tells him to but many times when we answer the call of God, he puts us in a position and a place under circumstances and conditions we may have never have chosen. There's something wonderful about this. And this mission of Isaiah, John, if you turn back to John, John links Jesus' mission very similar, that he's rejected by the nation. He's rejected by the national leaders. And then the next one, uh, number three, Yet some believed. Yet some believed. Verse 42, yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear. They would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than praise from God. It's such an interesting thing that these people wouldn't believe, but then he said some believed. And all through these last chapters we've been looking, there's these little spots that said, and some believed, and some believed. And when he went across the Jordan River to the Bethany across Jordan River, not the Bethany next to Jerusalem, if you remember that message, uh, that many believed in him. Many believed in him. So there's a, a growing amount of people that are believing in him, but they're not the national leaders and it's not the norm. There's many that are rejecting him. And this is the same kind of thing that Isaiah had that Jesus is doing. But I love this, that even some Pharisees like Nicodemus, you know, but they didn't let people know. And then there was Joseph of Arimathea that went and paid, uh, you know, to get his body and, and buried him in his tomb. Uh, There's just, you know, these, these Pharisees, some of them that believe, but they didn't want anyone to know. So even some of the believers of Jesus were kind of faint of heart and they were, had more fear than they had faith. And they love human praise more than they love praise from God. That word praise is the word doxa. They, they like human glory or human approval, human honor, acclaim or applause more than God. Number four, verse 44. At this point, it says, then Jesus cried out. And he's probably in the temple courts. And he cries out, Jesus cried out, whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. If you believe in me, you believe in the Father. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I am the representative of the Father. And when you look at me, you are seeing Father God. It is the most wonderful thing that God the Father and God the Son are one. But they have different personalities. 
I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Number five, Jesus came not to judge but to save. And I love that verse. I love that. Jesus came not to judge but to save. Verse 47, if anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person for I did not come to judge the world but to save the world. And I want you to know that there are ministries, there are pastors that, you know, they, if you had grace and you had judgment, there's some of the pastors love judgment and preaching, you know, and then there's other ones that love grace. And you can get too far. I, I kind of in the balance. I really believe in heaven. I got a chance uh, to preach this morning at a funeral and I preached heaven. Um, but I also believe that there is eternal condemnation. And, and so, you know, there's both of those. But the main ministry that God has called me to is this idea that Jesus came not to judge the world, but to save the world. And I try to do very little judgment. I try to do very little judgment. And I had a week this week where I was tempted to judge. I don't know if you've ever had a week like that, where you just wanted to judge I had someone crawl under my car when I had it parked in the church 20 feet from the back door and steal my catalytic converter. When I came at 7.30 in the morning, when I left at noon to go get lunch, I started up, it was like an Indy 500 car, you know? And it had no power, it just had this big loud noise, and I knew exactly what had happened because you know, a couple months ago it happened to my son, and I was just like, what kind of people are going on? You know, when it happened to my son, I said, oh, that's too bad, that's terrible. But when it happened to me, ah, what is going on, you know? And we just, we have a tendency to want to judge. And, and then our postman hit our mailbox, the community mailbox, and destroyed it. And we say, okay, you're going to fix that or whatever? Well, we'll get around to it sometime. Until then, you get to drive up to South Hill and spend 20 minutes in line and 20 minutes getting there and 20 minutes back, about an hour and a half, you know, just getting your mail. I was just like, oh, I'm going to judge the U.S. mail, you know? And, and there's just in us this, this thing of what injustice and even little things bother us. Traffic bothers us. All kinds of things bother us. And so I can't even tell you how weighty this verse is where Jesus says, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. And he provided the way on the cross. He says, there is a judge, the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The words that I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. You'll be responsible, but it'll be the words that do it. It won't be me judging you. And he says, for I did not speak on my own, but the father who sent me commanded me to say everything that I've spoken. I'm only telling you what he's told me to do. And his commands lead to eternal life. All the time, it's grace. It's saving the world. It's saving people. So whatever I say is just what the Father had told me to say. So let me talk to you about faith, belief, and unbelief. Now, first of all, faith, and you probably know this. You've probably heard sermons about this. Faith is the currency of the kingdom of God. Faith is the currency. It's like money in the kingdom of God. Faith is the money. It's the currency of the kingdom of God. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So this is the idea that you can't please God unless you come to him with faith. And faith is the currency. That's what God responds to, and that's how we trust in him. And so faith is so important. And a biblical 
definition of faith is found in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And so it's basically the idea is that we walk by faith, not by sight. And everything as, as a Christian uh, is by faith. But I would also say to you that even if you are a pre-Christian, you have areas in your life where you are totally walking by faith. Maybe not faith in God. Definitely not faith in Jesus. But you are walking by faith. So there's a place in Luke 17 where the disciples, you know, kind of catching on that faith is really important. They've been watching him heal, and he said, your faith has healed you. And he tell people that wanted to get healed, have faith, you know. He tells one guy, you know, about healing his son, and he says, I believe, help me in my unbelief. And people many times struggle with belief and unbelief. And so the apostles, the disciples come to him in Luke 17, 5, and the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith, increase our faith. And he replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Just a small amount of faith, a mustard seed side of faith. Doesn't take a whole bunch it's just that idea when I, you take little steps, you just begin to start trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. The more you trust him, the more he gives you that increase of faith. Increase our faith, mustard seed. Increase our faith, mustard seed. So let me tell you what I think faith does for us, for you and I, and what unbelief does. So Belief, faith, this is what it does for you. If you trust God, you trust the Lord Jesus Christ, then you know that God is there in every situation. If you have eyes of faith, you trust that in every situation, no matter what the conditions, no matter what the circumstances, God is on the throne, he is at work, and he is doing it, and you can just trust him in relationships, in family, in work, in career, in your home, in your finances. God is at work. When I get frustrated, I'll tell Elaine, I said, man, they cut out my cat. And they smashed my mailbox. He says, well, let's see what God's going to do with that. And that just drives me crazy. I don't want to hear that, you know. That's the eyes of faith, and I do not want to hear that. Or tell someone, you know, this happened to this person. We had two really wonderful saints in our church that just died recently, and one of them was our, our, our um, manager of the church office for years, and this happened, and that happened, and this happened, and that happened. And Elaine's like, well, let's see what God is going to do with that. You know, I said, well... It's a fallen world and it's sinful and it's terrible. What are you talking about? And I'm just telling you how I feel. She says, yeah, but let's see what God is going to do. She has eyes of faith that are more than mine when little things begin to bug me. And there's something about having people that we believe in because we believe in Jesus. And one of the things that people need is people of faith around them. I want to have People around me who believe in me. Elaine has believed in me all my life. My mom and dad believed in me all my life. And I know there's tons of people that don't have that in their life. And I believe in my kids. Even if I have to go visit them in Walla Walla, I still believe in them, that God is working in their lives. 
God is working in my grandkids' lives. God is working in your life. Even when you get mad at me or you're upset or something terrible happens, God is at work. And if we can just see with eyes of faith. I told someone a couple months ago, they were just distraught about someone being sick and why isn't God healing them? And I said, you know, God always heals Christians. You can count on it. He always heals Christians. Sometimes on this side, other times on the other side of eternity. Oh, I knew you were going to say that. You know, they just hate us saying that, you know, the pastors. But there's something about having faith and trusting God that he knows and we trust in his sovereignty. The other thing, just to throw this out here, is our economy, our physical economy, not God's economy, but the physical economy of the United States runs on faith. Our currency works on faith. We don't have a gold standard. There's nothing that's backing up our dollar. It's that you trust in it. Everyone trusts in it. In fact, the whole world wants dollars. One of the things they're doing to, to get at Russia is they're going to try to cut Russia off from access to our dollars and, and our banking because faith runs the economy and faith runs the stock market. You know that up and down, when it goes down, they've lost faith. And when it goes up, people are saying, oh, and they start having faith. Now, it's kind of gambling kind of faith, right? You know, you don't want to have that kind of faith in Christ. You know, when it's going good, you love Jesus. And when it's going bad, you hate Jesus. You know, you don't want to do that. But there's something about just every average day things that, that surround us. And so for me, I want to be surrounded with people who believe. I want my wife to believe in Jesus and believe in me. And I want my children to believe in Jesus and to, to believe in their spouses and to believe in their kids and their grandkids. I want to have people that believe. And I want to be surrounded by people like you that believe and that have faith, that trust God, that can move mountains, that move mulberries, move mulberry trees and throws them into the sea. What is unbelief doing? Let me just give you a little taste of unbelief. I don't like to talk about unbelief very much because it, it bums me out. So in our country right now, I really feel strongly, and I'll step down because this is my opinion, but I really believe strongly that unbelief is spurring on a spirit of criticism. That there is such a spirit of criticism in our country. Everyone is just critical, 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 critical. Even in the church, critical, critical, critical. Just criticizing, 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 criticizing. And that spirit causes people to become cynical. And then we have a spirit of cynicism. And the spirit of cynicism causes us to have disbelief. Which I think is worse than unbelief. I'm not going to go any further than that. I could tell you it causes us to have a spirit of meanness. That this age is becoming meaner and meaner. But maybe as we pull out of the, the COVID and the pandemic, maybe people will become kinder and more civil. But I don't know. Because right now, everyone's a critic. So here's me stepping down really low. Okay? This is really, I'm going to say something that you know, people are going to say, this crazy pastor said this. Almost every problem in the world is due to the lack of faith. Almost every problem in the world is due to the lack of faith. You think about any problem that you have in your life, almost every one of them is a lack of faith. 
that you're not trusting God and you're not seeing that, you know, in the spiritual world. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we live by faith, not by sight. I can't see how Wesley and, and Novella, my grandchildren, are going to turn out. But by faith, and I'm praying for them, that they will be God lovers. And by faith, you know, they will be in heaven and they will be champions of the kingdom of God. And every one of you, I pray for you and I pray that you are champions of the kingdom of God. Amen? Hey, let me pray for everyone. Stand with me and uh, we're going to sing a song, but let me pray right now. Father God, just thank you for each person here. Bless them, shine your faith, shine your face upon them and go with us down the road. Help us to realize that life and spiritual journey is really you on the throne, that you're the sovereign one. Oh God, we pray for each person in this room and people watching. We pray that you would bless them. Give us eyes of faith. Oh Lord Jesus, give us mustard seed faith. Increase our faith. In Jesus' name, amen.